And welcome to tonight's De Omine Lecture, Discussion, and Live Chat Room. Exclusively here on the Crusade Channel, part of the Veritas Radio Network, the Crusade Channel, King Size Truth, from Radio Size Speakers. Tonight is the 8th of March, 2017. I'm your host and moderator, Mike Church, and we will be discussing Brother Francis Malouf at the St. Benedict Center's Lecture number five on the topic of the Omine. And uh, if you'd like to find the chat room, it's easy to find. Go to my website at mikechurch.com, and you should see it on the scroll at the top of the page. If not, click on the Catholicism and then Philosophia de Pradenis link, and you want the Omine main page. Click on that, and at the top of the page, you'll see the links to open the chat room up in a new window. You can log in as a guest or using your Twitter ID, or your Facebook name. We are now joined tonight by our teacher, who is the uh, one and only host of Reconquest here on the Crusade Channel. That is Brother Andre Marie, who is live at the St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire. Brother, it is starting to look like spring down here in southeast Louisiana, your uh, your hometown and former stomping grounds. How are you, and how is it in New Hampshire? Well, uh, New Hampshire is beautiful, um, although um, winter occasionally keeps coming and grabbing spring with its icy fingers and not letting spring come in. But we've had spring days followed by roaring winter days. It's really weird weather. So (laughs) good time to get sick. Yeah, that's uh, pretty much the pattern that we had in February. Uh, It looks like uh, it's going to break now towards uh, towards the spring. Spring has sprung, and there's no taking it back, so we're all, uh, we're all delighted about that. Here on the second Wednesday, or we're now into the full swing of the second week of the Lenten season here. Uh, just one more thing before we get start, started, brother. I went to, uh, on a, a Lenten pilgrimage Saturday and walked 10.1 miles and was joined by uh, Monsignor Arthur Calkins. And oh. I had a chance to do a Lenten a confession with Monsignor, and I mentioned your name, and of course he brought up that he had baptized you, and he, <laughs> and, and he said, you know, it's uh, I, I I've, I've spoken with him, or I, he met you a time or two or something. He goes, and uh, his uh, his reference is, is is something else because all he wanted to know from me was what uh, formula that I use <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> yeah, well, I ch- yeah, I, I uh, yeah, I, that's how we got acquainted. I wrote him a letter asking him uh, a, a funny question about <laughs> my baptism. Um, but yeah, we don't need to get into that. But since then, we actually met in person uh, several times in Rome, where he used to work. Yes, and uh, he fell and broke his leg uh, on a mission of sorts last February. Uh, he, broke, he had a fib tib fracture because he, he slipped on ice, and he's still convalescing. Uh, so keep him in your prayers, brother. We are now going to discuss uh, De Omni Lecture 5, and I had a chance to listen to it twice. Um, I know that we're steering clear mostly of the discussion about the Psalms, but uh, uh, in this lecture there's an awful lot of it. And there is also an awful lot of uh, discussion about Aristotle and uh, the pursuit of of happiness and ultimate goods. I had a question before we uh, got started. 
the Greek word for the good is ta uh, agatha. Agathon. 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 It, okay. It, ta, it, ta is the article, so agathon is the word. You know, ta is the, so ta agathon. Oh, okay. Good. So is that the root from where we get the the name Agatha? I believe Saint Agatha's name is the Greek form, the feminine form of it. Yes. Okay. That's that's my only question. Where would you like to start tonight? So um, I believe that okay, just an overview, brother. As you said correctly, brother talked about the good quite a bit, um, and what is what is the true good? What is the meaning of good? And what is the relationship of good good to happy? And um, he talked about several values that the Greek philosophers made uh, part of their um, sort of consecrated terminology, their consecrated lexicon, as it were, of wisdom, the first of which is the word for wisdom, Sophia. Um, and another word is ataraxia, which means imperturbability. Hopefully we'll talk about that a little bit okay. soon enough. Uh, and then autarkaya, which is, which is roughly translated as self-sufficiency, but it has very other, it has, it has many other meanings. And, and the word, the word self-sufficiency is absolutely, is actually nowhere near adequate to convey the meaning of the word, especially since um, the common meaning of self-sufficiency is really almost the opposite of what uh, autarkaya means. Okay. Uh, then uh, milete, which again is is not hard, not easy to translate, uh, which means something like application or concern. It's 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 reference to a certain discipline, the um, virtue of discipline that's necessary. So all of these, brother Francis notes, the Greeks. Uh, wrapped up in their conception of the good, Aristotle would have wrapped up in his conception of the good, and we remember that it's in pursuit of the of the good that we find happiness. There, there are many people who refer to this kind of ethical pursuit as eudaimonistic ethics or eudaimonism. And I'm going to go ahead and throw into the chat room a link uh, so that later on people can read this very short article in <clears throat> the Encyclopedia Britannica online of uh, on eudaimonism, because it talks about um, this this ethical system. Really, Aristotelian ethics is all about how your 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 morals is dictated by your pursuit of your true happiness, and uh, eude uh, it, it literally comes from the word meaning happy spirit, but um, it's, it's the pursuit of happiness, and it's this very concept of an ethical system that's predicated on the pursuit of happiness through living virtuously. That Saint Thomas really made the basis of his ethical system. That Saint Thomas would have made the basis of his moral theology. So uh, it's called eudaimonism or eudaimonism. Um, and we we should say right at the right at the front that the conception that Aristotle, certainly Saint Thomas, would have had about happiness is very much not. Uh, a modern conception of happiness 
that's derived from uh, the presence of pleasure and the absence of pain. Okay. That, that sort of hedonistic concept of, of happiness was something that Aristotle explicitly rejected. And of course, for his part, St. Thomas rejected. St. Thomas agrees with Aristotle. Where there's a passage where Aristotle, Aristotle says that the pursuit of happiness is achieved, happiness is achieved in living the good life. And when he says good life, he means the life of virtue. And the life of virtue, now he didn't think that virtue was its own reward. That's another, that stoic belief is another false belief. Virtue is not its own reward, but virtue has rewards, and the reward of virtue is happiness. And of course, in this life, it's going to be, it's going to be fleeting, and it's going to be admixed with um, sadness and sorrow as well. But this is the kind of system that St. Thomas baptized and said, yes, the, the, our good is found in the pursuit of the life of virtue, which leads us to happiness. And that happiness ultimately is found utterly <clears throat> unadmixed by any sorrow or pain or suffering in heaven. But it's important to note that elsewhere, Aristotle says that happiness is found in contemplation. Mm-hmm. And that particular, in other words, man finds his happiness by doing what man does best. Animals uh, have uh, sense pleasures, and they can do that just as well as we can. But we have something higher than them. And Aristotle concluded very uh, <clears throat> unhedonistically <laughs> that, that our true happiness is found in contemplation. And of course, that concept, given the, the uh, uh, when, when, when that bit of Greek wisdom is joined to the, the Judeo-Christian revelation, then you end up with a very good marriage because it's a, it's a happy marriage. Because if, if your happiness is found in contemplation, the ultimate contemplation is contemplating uh, on earth God's word, but in heaven God's essence face to face, which is what beatitude is. It's what, that's the essential nature of heavenly beatitude. So I'm noting this to note how not only what Aristotle said about our happiness, but how that conception was easily baptized, as it were, by the, the scholastics, especially by St. Thomas, uh, and, and wedded to a Christian system of ethics and even a Christian system of, of, of um, what, what we would call eschatology, which is looking, looking towards uh, the future life of heaven. Um, so that's, that's part of the overview here. We, 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 we want to see, um, just in a nutshell here in this overview, what it is we're going we're gonna to look at. And then Brother talks about what is it that we pursue. Well, he defines what the good is. Okay. What, is it when we, what is it that we mean when we talk about the good? And he spent a while reading, uh, uh, reading from Aristotle. I think it was from um, chapter 1 of the Nic- Nicomachean Ethics, in fact, uh, it's definitely from chapter one of the Nicomachean Ethics. So I found the passage today. Anybody who would like to read it is welcome to click the link I just threw in the chat room. It's uh, it's online for free. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so the uh, and by the way, brother was reading from the first few uh, chapters, which they're very short chapters. 
So, um, okay, I think I gave an overview. So why don't we go back and start filling in the details, shall we? Yeah, we we can uh, we'll start with the with Greek words, if you like, and go uh, one at a time. I didn't know, uh, brother, and uh, when I heard this tonight, because I have um, one of my daughters, well, no, both of them, actually, have a really good friend whose name is Sophia. <laughs> um, no insult to Sophia, but uh, I'm not sure that she was named Wisdom. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, well that, that definitely is the Greek the Greek word for wisdom. That's and, uh, that's uh, I'm going to start using that now because I already already used the Latin sapientia. So now I'll just add Sophia. Uh, uh, how many languages might we learn by the end of Domine? Uh, uh how to just, say wisdom. Just be careful because Sophia is also regarded as a goddess by modern day feminists. Yes. Um, <laughs> but another another thing about Sophia is it's also a saint's name and Saint Sophia uh, had three daughters, and they all—I believe they all died martyrs. And their names were, and I kid you not, Saint Saint Fides, Saint Spes, and Saint Caritas, which translated as faith, hope, and charity. Faith, hope, and charity. <laughs> uh, so holy, holy wisdom gives us faith, hope, and charity. I thought that was very poetic. Now, brother, um, since we're talking about Aristotle tonight, can uh, you give us just a a, a very quick reminder? of uh, the time, the era, uh, and the date in which Aristotle actually lived. So Aristotle lived around, um, okay, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna embarrass me here. I, I believe it was about the 4th century. He died about 4th uh, century B.C. Okay. He would have been, he would have, I can't give you an exact year. He would have been uh, roughly coterminous with the Minor Prophets. So while the minor prophets were preaching to uh, the people of faith uh, of the Old Testament, uh, the, God's revelations, uh, Aristotle was making profound observations in Athens uh, about um, the natural order. Um, so uh, Aristotle, by the way, interesting little note about Aristotle. Aristotle was, of course, the student of Plato, who, of course, is a student of Socrates. So it goes Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. Aristotle himself had a student who's notable in history, though not as a philosopher, Alexander the Great, the, the, the conqueror, the son of Philip of Macedonia. Sure. And of course, Alexander the Great is the one who ushered in the age of Hellenism. Uh, by by Aristotle, by the way, would not have approved of, of uh, Alexander the Great's um, wars of conquest. But... I think Aristotle was dead by that time, um, but in, in but in God's providence, that spreading of Greek culture, which we call Hellenism, all across the Mediterranean world, um, made it so that the Greek language and Greek learning uh, was spread in those places where, not too much later, the uh, the the apostles would find themselves. And gr very important, Greek concepts like the concept of logos, which you have no time to go into tonight, but it's the Greek word for word, and it's an extremely pre uh, pregnant term in the Greek language. It was that concept of Greek that they had for logos was added to the Hebrew concept for word, that uh, is in the Hebrew scriptures, and maybe Craig Silverman can tell us the Hebrew word for word. I, I'm forgetting it. But the, the, the Jews themselves had a highly refined concept of this. 
those two things got married in the early church, very much got married. And St. John uses that word um, logos in the beginning, uh, in the prologue to his gospel, we know. And it was, in, and it, of course, it's in God's providence that the New Testament books were written in Greek. So a lot of, in fact, the words, the word autarkaya, I found it in the New Testament. St. Paul uses autarkaya in the New Testament. And it's extremely beautiful the way that he, the way that he uses it. Hopefully, I'll be able to refer to that when we get there later. Um, so yeah, so Aristotle was was um, Aristotle's disciple, as it were, his student was Alexander the Great. And when Alexander the Great arrived in Jerusalem, and 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 came approached the temple, he saw the high priest, and the high priest had <clears throat> had a, a shorthand for the Tetragrammaton written on on his mitre. In other words. He had something indicating the all-holy name of God on his mitre. And for some strange reason, when, um, when Alexander the Great saw that, he, he bowed down in adoration. Mm -hmm. Somehow he was given a grace to know that this, this man represented the true God. So uh, I like to tell that story because it shows you that there was a sort of pre prequel, as it were, to the uh, apostles and fathers of the church using Greek wisdom in, in being joined to Revelation. Um, anyway. Great, um, that's a great story. I've never heard it. So Brother Francis was St. Augustine, and he reads, he reads a passage from the City of God. And this is, this is important, I think, to sort of set the pace for okay. what we're talking about. Okay. St. Augustine talked about how a man's a, the quality of a man is judged upon, judged based upon the quality of his loves. This is very much uh, uh, kind of a mega theme for St. Augustine in his works. The quality of a man is determined by the quality of his loves. If what he loves is something good, the man's going to be of good quality. If he loves things that are base and paltry and, and passing and so forth, uh, that's going to be the that's going to describe his quality as a man and it is really the, the, you can take the language of saint augustine here and sort of translate it slightly into the language of aristotle and you can say what is his true good you can judge the quality of the man based upon what is his true good what is the good that he's pursuing and that's going to judge the quality of a man, and that's how Aristotle would have would have phrased it. Um, so let's then dig in a little bit more into Aristotle. Okay. Um, so brother, of course, makes many encomiums of Aristotle and talks about how, naturally speaking, in other words, without the aid of supernatural revelation, Aristotle did about the best that the human mind, un with the unaided use of reason, can do. Um, and then he talked about these various uh, Greek words that are very, very important in the in, in the Greek lexicon of wisdom. First of all, Sophia, which you've already mentioned, wisdom itself, and then ataraxia, which means imperturbability. Uh, elsewhere, Brother Francis talked about how the the what we call the evangelical councils. And most people have heard of them: poverty, chastity, and obedience. What uh, nuns and monks and so forth take by vow. Sure. Um, that he's compared ataraxia to poverty. 
It means imperturbability, but how is it that somebody's imperturbable? Is it because he's uncaring or sort of insouciant, doesn't give a darn, um, callous, if you will? No, it's not at all because of that. Uh, the, 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 the philosopher who has achieved this, this virtue is imperturbable because his desires are, are few. He's achieved a certain virtue where he is detached from things. And this is why Brother Francis compared it to, to evangelical poverty, because poverty doesn't just mean you don't have anything. In fact, it does mean you don't own anything in your own name, but it means that you have detachment even from those things that you use. And the more attached you become to things, money or gadgets or gizmos or whatever, the more attached you become to these things, then the, the more there is a cause for you being perturbed. <laughs> the more there is a cause of disturbance because these things get stolen, they get broke, they get smashed, they get they get um, they go bad. Okay, whatever whatever it is you attach to, something it's fleeting and it's not permanent. Now, if you attach yourselves to permanent things, that's a different question. Yeah. But if what you attach yourself to is passing and fleeting things, um, you're setting yourself up, as it were, for disappointment. So the more dependent we are uh, on creatures, then the more susceptible we are um, to, to that internal disturbance that we call perturbability. So the philosopher, and, and by the way, this is the virtue. Everybody's heard this in the common parlance, I think. He took it philosophically. Right, right. That's exactly what this means. <laughs> if you have ataraxia, you're unperturbable. Uh, we, 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 we sometimes say unflappable, okay? And it doesn't just mean you're tough. It means you have an interior detachment that makes you not so disturbed when things go wrong. Wow. That's, and and, and if, if you're getting a hint that this is A, difficult, B, takes a long time to achieve, and C, rare, you're absolutely right. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Brother Francis yeah. also wrote in his book, uh, The Challenge of Faith, that the work of redemption is a romance of poverty. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and, and, and I think he was actually borrowing a little bit from Chesterton there. Cause I Chesterton think he was. About the romance well, he loved Chesterton. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. He loved him, and sometimes I think he quoted him without realizing it because <laughs> he read him so much. But but that 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 imperturbability, and by the way, okay, it's Lent, and uh, uh, this is a good time to try to cultivate imperturbability. Okay. Because the fewer material things you are attached to— St. Augustine says a man has as many masters as he has vices— so obviously the person who has vice, and what really makes a person have a vice? Generally, it's attachment to creatures, some disordered attachment to creatures. Not always. Sometimes it's a personality thing or whatever, but oftentimes it's an it's a attachment to creatures. And St. Augustine, talking about true freedom, says that only the man of virtue is truly free. Yeah, all of us are, are free by virtue of the fact that we have a free will. We have that faculty of the free will. But morally, we forge chains for ourselves by our sins and by our vices. So St. Augustine says, as, as many vices as a man has, he has that many masters. So he's, he's not a free man at that point. He's a slave. 
And this is one of the ironies about the modern conception of freedom, which is you're free to do whatever you want. No, freedom, free, you are free so that you might pursue the good. And that really fits into what we're talking about tonight. It sure pursuing does. Pursuing the good. So the person who has ataraxia is free to pursue his good because he's not encumbered by attachment to these creatures and he's not going to be causing himself all kinds of um, unreasonable sorrow when things go wrong. So again, this is not, this is a rare virtue, this ataraxia, this, this uh, detachment or this imperturbability. But it's something that's very, very much, I mean, you see it in these Greek philosophers, you see it big time in the lives of the saints. Like, they were unflappable. You would see it in, especially in the life of someone like St. Francis of Assisi. Sure. Or, I mean, like St., uh, I mean, uh, one that jumps to mind is St. Francis de Sales, you know. Sure. Very busy, bishop, missionary, did all kinds of things, wrote a lot, spiritual director to a bunch of nuns, and that's not as easy as it might sound. <laughs> um he he had he did a lot. He he spread himself kind of thin, and he had very wicked and very determined enemies. Sure did. And all the while, he 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 kind of, as they, as the jazzers say, he kept on kept keeping on. He 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 did not lose his serenity at all. He had achieved such a heroic degree of meekness that. He had no, uh, people could chew him out, uh, say nasty things about him, and he didn't get angry. All, all of this, by the way, is wrapped up in that concept of, of ataraxia. He was unperturbable. He didn't, have, he didn't have an inordinate attachment even to his own personal honor and glory that when he was spoken badly of, um, he, 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 he was not disturbed. This, that's that's part of uh, uh, ataraxia. This is the Daomine classroom and chat room live on the Crusade channel, King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers. And this is also part of a free preview, so uh, this is going out to any and all that have our app. Uh, if you don't have our app and you're listening on the website at mikechurch.com or at crusadechannel.com, why not go to the iTunes store or the Google Play uh, store for the Android phone and download the app? It's free. Don't cost nothing. Simply search for Veritas Radio Network. You'll need all three words. Otherwise, you'll wind up with an alien hunter in California or the other one in England. Uh, having, <laughs> really? Yes. If you don't put Veritas Radio Network in, you'll get the alien hunters uh, who claim that uh, alien life is the truth. Uh Brother Andre Marie, our, our instructor for tonight, is the host of the Reconquest program, which is in now, what, it's 61st episode? Uh, uh, 66 tonight. How do I always miss the count? Okay. Uh, I don't know. I'm mystified. I, yeah, I am mystified, too. <laughs> I should know this. Uh, episode number 66 tonight. Uh, brother, uh, what is on episode number 66, which I can confirm is in the queue because I'm looking right at it? Oh, good. Uh, it's uh, John. I interviewed John Horvat, whom oh. you've interviewed before. Yes. But um, uh, the name of the talk is Immigration and Social Disintegration. That's the subject we explored. I, I wanted to interview him about uh, immigration, and it became a rather um, far-flung uh, discussion of various other uh, various other um, topics. 
that are related to a rather common theme of social disintegration. So hopefully, hopefully you'll enjoy that. Well, I'm sure um, I, I'm sure I will. My friend, uh, Dr. Professor Kevin Goodsman, has made that a theme of uh, many of the conversations he and I have had about the problem of mass immigration of what you, exactly what you're talking about into the United States. That uh, without proper safeguards, it can't end well for the host country or for the country that's being immigrated into. Yeah, be- and we actually discussed St. Thomas Aquinas on the subject of immigration, believe it or not. I've read St. Thomas on the subject of immigration. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of people just assume that Catholics all think that, you know, an un, un, unfiltered amount of immigration is just great. Judging by the way the bishops talk, it's kind of crazy. But um, very few bishops understand the question properly, but that's the case. And that so, is- um, Mike, a couple of people asked questions in the chat room sure, here that let's I, get I don't want to ignore. So, uh, somebody, um, sorry, hey, H-A-E, um, asked, can ataroxia be considered as one of the conditions for obtaining a plenary indulgence? Is the detachment from created things seems to imply detachment to sin as well, detachment from sin. So detachment from sin, yeah, detachment from sin is necessary to obtain a plenary indulgence. Um, and I, I guess it could be said that you have to have at least a minimal degree of ataroxia to achieve that. Ataroxia really uh, is something much more, um, much deeper than just a detachment from from sin. It's a, it's 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 you know, a, a detachment from sin means that you have no intention of continuing to commit these sins, whether venial or mortal. But ataroxia is a bit more comprehensive in the sense that one is not disturbed when one's great hopes uh, come crashing down around you, when things don't go well, even when your good projects and enterprises that you think are good and holy and noble and virtuous, when they come crashing down, um, you're not disturbed. So that, that requires a bit more virtue than mere detachment from sin. Um, another question, let's see, um, were there, was there another question, one that I mi- missed? Uh, I think we're good. I can think I, we're good. Can, um, uh, Craig Silverman told me, gave me the Hebrew word for word, which is dabar. Dabar. Okay, dabar. okay thank you, Craig. Um, let's move on to uh, Altar, uh, Altarkaya. 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 Brother gave it as self-sufficiency, but th- that in itself isn't isn't interesting. It's not sufficient <laughs> to to describe it, because autarkia implies a contentment with what you have. It's a state of equ- it's a state of uh, equanimity. Um, it literally means self-sufficiency, but the way that the word is or self-satisfaction or self-sufficiency. But the way that the word is used, it means you're content with what you've got. So when when St. Paul, for instance, talks about um, having godliness with contentment, the word that's used for contempt, contentment there is autarkayas, which is the proper declined form of the, of the word autarkaya. So uh, autarkaya means not only self-sufficiency, but contentment, and it, and it implies being content in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. 
Now, Aristotle used the word not only in a sort of platonic sense of for the individual. In other words, the way that Plato had used the word, he applied it to an individual, being, being sufficient of yourself, not having many needs, not being overly demanding. And you can see how that, that um, connects to ataraxia. Okay. Because if you're content with what you have, even if you have relatively few necessaries, then you're not going to be easily perturbed, right? So they, those two things sort of feed into one another. But uh, Aristotle not only used this, the word in the individual sense, the way that Plato used it, but he also used it in a social sense of a society being self-sufficient and having all that it needs and being content with meeting its needs by the, 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 the sometimes necessarily humble means at its disposal. So um, commentators, and you can read books about this subject, I understand. I haven't, but you can. Um, commentators will talk about how um, Autarkaya was given a whole different depth of political meaning in the writings of Aristotle, uh, such as they were not in, in, in Plato's thinking. So uh, autarkaya means self-sufficiency, but in the sense of contentment, um, in the sense of being satisfied with what you have, and as it were, making do. So um, um, again, St. Paul talks about kindliness with contentment is great gain. Elsewhere he talks about having, having that which, uh, ha having clothes and a roof over your head and, 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 and food and drink, with these things, we are content. That's the same that, that connotes the same thing, the same meaning of, of autarkaya, having, having the simple things of life and being content with those, you have then autarkaya, you have that self-sufficiency. Elsewhere, by the way, St. Paul says, we are not, some, some, some of you may recognize this quote, St. Paul says, we are not sufficient of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, meaning that we're sufficient because of God's grace. So, there, he's using the word artarkaya, and he's sort of baptizing it to say that it's not self-sufficiency, meaning we're self-reliant. The concept of autarkaya, as it was baptized by St. Paul, means we recognize that those things that we have for our sufficiency come from God. Now, Aristotle, I don't think, would have disagreed with St. Paul on the point. But uh, but he did not give it that layer of meaning. But 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 I don't think either that Aristotle meant the modern concept of self-reliance. You know, he didn't. He wasn't connoting that at all. He meant contentment with what it is that you've got. So that's autarkaya. Okay. So um, next is milete. Milete. Milete, which Brother Francis insists is not easy, easy to translate. It means application or concern or discipline. Um, yeah, I can remember my father always telling us, boys, you need to apply yourself. You need to apply yourself with yeah. discipline. Now, when Dad drilled that into us, <clears throat> whether he knew it or not, he was inculcating in us a need for milete, um, and, it, and it implies a whole lot of other virtues, not beginning with thoughts, having, having an application to the right thoughts and, and true wisdom, but proceeding with perseverance so as to achieve a result. 
So you might say that the person who has milete puts his nose to the grindstone in the common parlance, okay? He applies himself, he's dedicated, he has the virtue of, of, of diligence, which, which, by the way, to have that implies other, other virtues. It implies detachment from certain enjoyments that you might have if you were, if you were more lazy, okay? It, it implies, um, yeah, a lack of, of, of sloth or, or a sloth or laziness. Um, so that's, that's milete. And, and with milete, we can achieve excellence. Even if only in the realm of thought, even if you know, even in some um, specific concentration of ours, like if you're a craftsman, if you're a skilled workman, uh, whatever your job is, whatever your pursuit is in life, if you have milete, you will you will go after it with with due diligence, gusto, and, and perseverance. Yes. Yeah. And well, now gusto implies that you go the whole hog, so to speak. But sometimes people think of gusto, and they might think in, in terms of it in fits and starts and spurts, you know. But milete implies a continued diligence. So it, it has what we would call the, the part of the virtue of fortitude, which is perseverance. Huh? Well, you can also think gusto, uh, gusto, and if you're old enough, you might think Schlitz beer. Okay, yeah, they, there you go, there you go. Uh, <laughs> it had gusto. <laughs> and if you and if you think Schlitz beer is good, then you have no true it, concept of agathon. It <laughs> <laughs> is true good. So I, I got that. That brings us to our next Schlitz beer. Brings us to the next word, sure, which is agathon, the good. So uh, ta agathon, the good. So. Brother Francis is careful to tell us that no human act is good unless it is properly directed towards its purpose. No human act is good unless it is properly directed towards its purpose. Now, hopefully somebody in the chat room can tell me what word that invokes from their memory of our previous lectures uh, in Philosophia Perennis, that one word with the highfalutin Greek sound to it which which this points towards um, is hylomorphism. Teleology, telos being the word that we get tail from, mm -hmm. literally means end. Right. But end in the sense of uh, purpose. Um, so um, it means end. I think in multiple senses, just like the the Latin word finis mean has has multiple senses of end. So. Um, uh, the the in speaking of the Mosaic Law, Saint Paul, and I believe the word that he's going to be using in Greek is telos. The word in Latin is finis. He says Christus finis legis. Christ is the end of the law, meaning that the Mosaic Law points towards Christ as its purpose, uh, as its as its end, as its terminus. So this is what we what this is what Brother's connoting when he talks about. Um, directed towards its purpose. No human act is good unless it's directed towards its purpose. Everything we do has some sort of purpose. And if we're doing something purposeless, then by definition, we're doing something irrational. Because reason, every, in re, according to reason, everything is ordered to some purpose. I mean, all, all, certainly that's true of our of our the brute animal life that we live, our, sure. our eating, our digestion, and so forth. All of these things fulfill some purpose. 
for the good of the organism and, are, that is. And brother, you're um, you're you're breaking up on us for just uh, just a little bit here, but I, I was going to interject that this is a, a good teaching moment uh, for both philosophy of Perennis and uh, De Omine. Um, uh, in so much as that when we began, you know, we, when we began this class, we talked about this, that if you don't get all the terminology on the first go around, or if the first lecture or the second one doesn't entirely, uh, sink in and you don't, you don't have a full and total recall of it, don't worry about it because brother's teaching method is circular. He keeps going back and bringing in the, the same terms and re-explaining them. And, uh, brother, you just kind of touched on it just a moment ago. And uh, when, you, when you talked about purpose, one of the things that Brother circles the wagon back to over and over and over again, and he has since uh, I've heard 125 uh, Philosophy of Perennis lectures and now uh, five of these, um, is that if, if a man does not know where he is going, then uh, he's not going anywhere. If you ask someone, where are you going? And they say, oh, I don't know. Well, <laughs> you're not really going anywhere, then are you? You have to know where you're going. And uh, I think that's one of his recurring themes, that we always have to know what the ultimate purpose is. We have to know why we're on that ocean, why you're on that road, why you're saying that prayer, whatever the case may be. Just thought I'd uh, interject that here on the Dahomene Lecture uh, number 5 here on the Crusade Channel, King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers. And uh, we are in the middle of our discussion on lecture number five. If you missed any of the previous lectures, we've been very diligent about this. They are all on my website at mikechurch.com, easy to find. Just click on the Catholic uh, Catholicism tab at the top of the page and the Philosophy of Perennis, and it will display a neat little li list of all four of the first lectures. And, of course, tomorrow we'll have number five up. And at the bottom of each lecture, there is a code that generates another list, just in case you missed the first one of the previous uh, four episodes or five, uh, depending on what week it may be, in descending order. So it goes five, four, three, two, one. And each one of those individual posts at MikeChurch.com also has this discussion on it, which we tape record and then edit down and then post up on the site for free. Don't cost nothing. Okay, brother, let's uh, let's let's get back to it. We are uh, at the end of uh, Agathon, and yep. now we're going to... You kind of translated that into the good and continue the discussion. Yeah, so the, uh, the, the, the good is that which we pursue. And, brother, and Aristotle defines the good as that for the sake of which everything else is done. Hmm. The good is that for which we do what we do. Um, so there will be a, a hierarchy of goods. There will be multiple goods. Let, before I get deeper into that consideration, let me just answer one question I saw up in the chat room. Okay. Bill asks, can the purpose be bad per se, or are we talking about all virtuous thoughts here? So uh, good question, Bill. When we talk about purpose... Somebody can have a bad purpose, and of course, that's going to qualify his act as being bad. If his purpose is, you know, I'm, I'm my purpose in w walking over here, walk, opening this door, and using this gun is to commit murder, 
obviously that purpose colors the nature of the act as an evil act. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so somebody who does that is clearly acting for a purpose. There is a, there is a teleology and it, and it ain't good. So yeah, that hopefully that answers you adequately. Um, but continuing on with the good, um, no human act is, is good unless it's properly directed. So it's properly directed towards its purpose, but for it to be morally good, the purpose has to be good, okay? So it has to be properly directed, and it has to be properly directed to a true good. I think that's maybe why Bill was saying that. It's not just any purpose. It's got to be directed towards a good purpose for it to be good. Now, and then Aristotle says, if there's a goal for which we were made, then it's important that we find out what it is, and that our true good is that purpose for which we were made. Now, obviously, we have any number of goods that we pursue all throughout our day-to-day -day existence. But, <clears throat> so there are goods that are, some goods are means to other ends. Some goods are means and ends, but some goods are ends in themselves. And that, if it's, if it's a good which, has, which is not a means to another good, mm -hmm. then that is absolutely final. That is the absolute final good. And for Aristotle, it was living the good life. It was living a life of virtue and becoming happy thereby. Now, he also says, as, as I pointed out earlier, that our purpose, our good, is found in contemplation and that that makes us happy. But the two things don't contradict one another. Right. Because, because for the philosopher, living virtuously is a path towards true wisdom, which puts us in a state of contemplation, which makes us happy. So there is, a, there is a happiness that comes from contemplation, and there's a happiness that comes from the living of the good life, which is, again, synonymous with the living of the life of virtue. And we might say living a life of moral rectitude. Yeah. I was just going to say that in, in, in other lectures in the uh, uh, Philosophia Perennis series, that brother also teaches us that happiness cannot come from the will. And it has to yeah. come from the intellect. And that may be a little off the subject. I just just thought of it. just popped into my mind. I... Uh, wait. Happiness. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, that, that's a complicated. Okay, because joy is found in the intellect, in the will. Maybe we shouldn't go into that discussion now. But ha but um, for, for, for Aristotle, happiness is something which is absolutely final. For Aristotle... Happiness is something which is absolutely final. In other words, happiness is not a means to another end. That is the end. That's the end all, okay? That's the end of all is happiness. Now, you can see how St. Thomas would baptize this. In other words, we pursue this good that we might get that good, that we might get that good, that we might that get that good, and you can have a quasi-infinite chain of causality here. So you've got th these these intermediary goods, which are also means to another good, mm -hmm. but that good, which is an end in itself to Aristotle, is happiness. And from the time of Aristotle on, any philosopher who was, who was uh, influenced by him 
would ask himself the question, how does one achieve happiness? This was the big question. And this becomes the question, and people might be surprised by this, for, for St. Thomas, this is the question of how do we, this is the uh, question which governs his ethics, governs his moral system. You might think, well, what does that have to do, what does happiness and morals have to do with each other? I mean, you know, morals means having, not having fun. That's the opposite of happiness. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but that's because our own concepts are so colored with hedonism and modern materialism and consumerism that we don't understand what happiness is. Happiness is found in this contentment. It's ha found in contemplation. It's found in living the life of virtue. The life of virtue is a means. Now, again, the Stoics said falsely that virtue is a, an end in itself. The Epicureans had it that a certain undisturbed pleasure is an end in itself, and that's the true, true path to happiness. They were both wrong. For Aristotle, it's the life of virtue, which is not an end in itself, but which has as its end happiness, and that happiness will consist in contemplation. Right. Uh, and I, I was just going to mention, brother, you had brought this up in a previous uh, lecture series. I can't remember which one, but I don't remember if it was happiness or joy, but you, you had said something to the effect, if you want to see this in uh, the physical world, if you want to see what it looks like, then go look at such and such as, I can't remember the sculptor's name, statue of St. Teresa of Avila in, uh, in an ecstasy. Oh, yeah, okay. I've seen that statue in person, <laughs> or rather in, in stone. I just looked it up after you said it, and it's just breathtaking. Yeah, yeah, it's in Rome. It's in the Carmelite Church in Rome, and it's, 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 rather, it's rather stunning. It is stunning. Yeah, and the artist, uh, I, I'll kick myself for not remembering the artist, but he was <laughs> a very pious man, uh, as, as well as being a great... Um, Counter-Reformation era artist. But uh, c c sort of finishing up those thoughts on happiness, uh, it, it, it's worth saying that in, in the New Testament, when we have in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus preaching his first sermon, first public sermon, he says, he preaches the, the, the Beatitudes. He begins with, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, um, so, and then he gives what we call the eight Beatitudes, and they, in Latin, they all begin with Beati qui, Beati qui, Beati qui, blessed is he, blessed is he, blessed is he. So, because they all begin with Beati, they're called the Beatitudes. But many modern translations don't use the word blessed. They say happy. Now, we can contest that as not quite adequate, <clears throat> but rather than haggle over that, I'm going to use it to make a point. When we, when we, as it were, baptize Aristotle and say that, uh, that, that our, our, uh, the end of ends, the end in itself, that end which is not a means to another end is happiness, we can say it's blessedness. So St. Thomas talks about the Beatitudes as being little foretaste in this life of the happiness of heaven. So, so you, you see how this concept of happiness, when it's, when it's brought into the religion, easily translates, easily fits in, and becomes blessedness. That is to say, happiness in heaven. And again, Aristotle says happiness is found in contemplation. 
No argument there. We Christians have no argument for St. Thomas. The the happiness, heavenly happiness, is essentially found in the intellect, in the possession of God, in the intellect, <clears throat> uh, as the known and the knower, and the loved and the lover. That is that is how we find our happiness: the seeing of of God in the face in heaven. And and Aristotle didn't know this, but he came as close to knowing it as you possibly could with the unaided use of human reason. Brother, we have just about three and three and a half minutes to uh, to wrap up, and um, it looks like we've gotten actually almost to the uh, to the end of the part of the lecture tonight in Domine Five that comes before the talking uh, the talk about the Psalms. And yeah, yeah, he's talked a lot about the Psalms tonight. And it was a if you listen to it, then uh, you probably enjoyed it because I had never heard much of what Brother talked about, so. I actually enjoyed listening to that, but you'd have to get into a whole entire new discussion. And uh, since we've been kind of skipping around and, and uh, uh, doing the philosophy part and not the psalm part, I guess we can continue with that tradition tonight. And uh, I'll just bring up that as soon as this episode of the Omine is concluded tonight, that uh, keep it tuned right here to the Crusade Channel because you'll, you'll be treated to the world broadcast premiere of episode number 66 Brother Andre Marie's Reconquest. And if you missed any of the previous episodes, they are all, all available for download at crusadechannel.com. All right, brother, two minutes remaining. What shall we, uh, I guess we could set up lecture number six if you know anything about it, or just uh, maybe answer some questions to the end. Well, I, I, the first thing I should do is ask, are there any outstanding questions? I, I, I've been trying to, some, Jennifer uh, Smathers, by the way, may, points out how, the Baltimore Catechism's question, why did God make you? The answer to which is, God made me to know him, love him, and serve him in this life and be happy with him in the next. So it certainly agrees with what Aristotle said. So there's a contradictum. At least it makes us think of this because uh, heavenly happiness is, is pointed to here. Our, pur our purpose is, ha our end is happiness. The question as to how we achieve that is going to be given in a more complete way with the benefit of revelation than with the uh, than, than what the the, the um, Greeks would have had our brother What's we happy have... death mean a happy, a happy death means a death that one is well prepared for that that leads one to the the happiness of heaven that leads one to eternal happiness that's a happy death Die, dying in grace that's a good answer and with that we have to wrap it up here tonight uh, I have been your host and moderator Mike Church he is Brother Andre Marie. You can read him uh, and follow him on Twitter at Brother Andre, on Facebook, Brother Andre Marie, uh, via email, bam, B-A-M, at Catholicism.org, and, of course, on his website at Catholicism.org. For all of us here on the Crusade Channel, we say good night. May God bless you and Mary keep you. Amen.